This is the RC Roundtable, a casual discussion about all aspects of flying model airplanes. Hello there, and welcome to the RC Roundtable. My name is Lee Ray, and I'll be your host for this mini-podcast that we're calling Episode 5.1. We have three little bits from Episode 5 that unfortunately didn't make the cut due to time, but we wanted to add this little podcast so we could share them with you. Let's start first with Terry Dunn sharing a story about the E-2 Hawkeye. So I've got an interesting story about the E-2 Hawkeye and the folding wings. So I wrote an article, I think it was last month, about that Grumman folding wing design, which dates back to the Wildcat of World War II. And I talked to a guy who used to fly Hawkeyes, and he was saying that when they fold the wings back like that, it becomes um, a big weather vane. So they have a real problem keeping it from turning into the wind when it's on an aircraft carrier and they fold the wings back. So not only do you have that huge side area that's now behind the center of gravity, but the weight of the wings also shifts the center of gravity back off the nose gear a little bit. Yeah. So he said it's a huge problem of it weather veining, but also it will actually slide sideways across the deck. Just the force of the wind is enough to, <laughs> wow. to make even the main gear lose grip. So he said kind of laid into a cruise once the anti-skid coating on the flight deck has worn down a little bit and it's got grease and other things on it. The, the traction isn't what it was at the start of the, the cruise that they really have to be careful with how and where they fold the wings. Where the plane might get blown off the side of the ship. It, exactly. And uh, he said, and it's so big that they really have to fold the wings right away in order to make room for anything else to happen on the flight deck. So he said it's a very delicate dance with how they treat those wings, especially on the Hawkeye. Oh, fascinating. Yeah, which was something I'd never considered before. It's uh, fascinating to talk to those guys who use that hardware and, and get the inside information. Yeah, all those little stories are really great. I always enjoy hearing little tidbits and little less little known insights and operations and that kind of stuff. It's a lot to learn. Here's a further discussion on the electric combat airplane called the Hogwild that uh, Terry and Fitz were talking about. Now, looking at the Hogwild, does it have a spar or anything? Uh, yes, it has one spar kind of after in the rear half of the plane, after the propeller slot, there's sort of a spar that's shoved in there. Uh, okay, so the coroplast flutes go from right to left. I assume they just put a piece of carbon fiber in the flutes? Uh, I think so. It, the, the plane itself comes pre-built. So it literally comes out of the box ready to fly. I think you maybe the fins have to be glued on, or, and that's it. It's very little building to do to it. Uh, a club member of mine has one, and I've flown it a few times. And it's a, it's a its thing is nearly indestructible. Is his main thing. It's meant for wow. combat. Yeah, it reminds me of another plane that was around a few years ago, and I think it still is. It's called the Superfly. Oh yeah, which is <laughs> the same kind of thing. It's yes. a, a foamy rather than coroplast, but it's a delta with twin verticals and a mid-mounted motor, with the prop going through a cutout. So it seems to be the same sort of plan form. And it was also built as a you know, nearly indestructible plane. Yeah, this is a, kind of a scaled-up superfly. And you're right. It's Okay. What's the wingspan on the Hogwild? 
The wingspan is uh, 29 and a half inches. Oh, it's a little guy. Yeah, it's not too big, but it's actually, it's kind of, it's just as, almost as long as it is wide, so it still has some presence in the air. And uh, you can attach. And as a Delta, it would still have plenty of wings. Yeah, it's got a lot of wings. I think it flies really slow. You can hand launch it or launch it off these rails if you want. And uh, it, you can put streamers on it and just go out and have a ball trying to knock other people out of the air with it. So I saw a few of them flying at the small steps, and they were just, just having a good old time with it. Here's a topic we hope to include in future episodes of RC Roundtable, and we call it Tool Time. It's where we grab a tool that's on our workbench, something new, something old, and we share with our listeners why we think this is a valuable asset to have for construction or a tool you should bring with you to the flying field. Every week we discuss what's on our workbench, but not only is an airplane on our workbench, but we have a lot of tools on our workbench to make those planes come to life. And so I thought I'd just ask you guys to pick one tool, something that's on your bench that you use a lot or that you think anyone should have. And I'm just throwing one out there. I will say that my Dremel tool, my rotary tool, is used quite a bit uh, when I'm working in there. And the, the joke is, is it Dremel or Dremel? <laughs> Fitz, how do you say it? Because if you say it one way, I'm sure it's right the other way. <laughs> well, I say Ouch. Dremel. Yeah, I know. That's a, a slam on my pronunciation, huh? But I don't have a thief impediment. <laughs> um, I'm a Dremel guy. Dremel? Dremel. Dremel, not Dremel. I've never heard Dremel. I, I, is this some sort of Boston lingo or something? I don't... Well, then I have to say I first started saying Dremel tool. When we first started doing it, now I say Dremel because I think everybody else says that. So, my Dremel—it's <laughs> German, I guess. <laughs> uh, my rotary tool is a is a wonderful device. Uh, I mean, I think most people have one. I kept my dad's for the longest time until the brushes wore, and it just wouldn't perform any longer. So, the one I have now is probably about six years old, and and they will last a long time, but. You know, the sanding drums, they, you know, I use the two sizes. I'm not sure what the measurements are. There's one, you know, standard like half inch size, but they actually make a smaller one that I use quite often now. Gosh, I, I sometimes I just don't, I'm not even aware that I, I'm always keeping it handy. And, and I have this weird method of keeping the wrench, you know, nearby the certain part of my workbench. Because I always know it's there. Because whenever I grab my tool, the first thing I do is I grab that wrench and remove either the, the cutting tool or the sanding tool or a polishing tool. So if you don't have one, go get one. They are a godsend. And I've never had any luck with the battery-powered one, so uh, I always use a corded one. <laughs> when you say wrench, you mean the wrench for the collet where you That's put on the different the different tips? Yes, yes. <laughs> I haven't seen mine in years, and it's getting rounded off because I'm horrible and I use pliers. <laughs> I lose mine about half the time. There's a 50-50 chance I'll find it in my workshop. And I can, I mean, I have used wrenches before, but once I've, you know, once I found my tool, I guess, I just always kept it in one place. But, you know, obviously, if you don't have that tool, you can use a pair of pliers, but... What else? What other tools do you guys use, or is a must on your workbench, or something like you would take with you to an event? Because I know that my Dremel <laughs> is often uh, used by uh, friends at uh, best because they don't bring theirs to the event. 
Well, <laughs> I, I'm going to try to be nice about this, Lee. Um, I'm kind of a minimalist. I try to bring as little stuff as possible just because, you know, I, I don't like to be weighed down. The couple times that we've camped out at uh, uh, fly-ins together, I feel like your workshop is probably empty. <laughs> yeah. Because you, <laughs> you you bring everything. I was just thinking. Which is great because I end up borrowing most of your stuff throughout the weekend. If you weren't there, I would have been you know, up a creek. Yeah, just uh, thinking the same thing. Lee brings a mini hobby shop with it. We don't have to bring anything. Yeah. Do you so, remember a couple of years ago I had a signed out front that says, we'll work for food? <laughs> and I had my soldering iron out, my Dremel tool, my cutting table. <laughs> we'll fix airplanes. I had a couple food. of hamburgers that day. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, if something, I crash a plane, I'm like, oh, man, I need a 13-point double reticulated bit to fix this thing. It's like, oh, yeah, I got that. <laughs> right here. <laughs> you need double reticulated or triple reticulated? Um, I think they're interchangeable. <laughs> well, but Lee has, Lee has both. both. Yes. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And I have two. I have two of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, actually, you um, bring up a good point. Uh, you talk about a particular tool. I'm going to go off a little bit in that I like to buy duplicate tools because sometimes I have sort of a split workshop. I have one workshop, workshop, and I have a dinner, like a sort of a, a hobby room. And sometimes it's just a pain to go back and forth. And so I'll actually end up right. with duplicate tools because I'm a lazy SOB. That is lazy. <laughs> now, isn't he the guy that was giving you grief about your big workshop, and he's got two? Yeah, but my two are oh. like half the size of his one. <laughs> so, okay, you talked about having duplicate tools. Are you going to pick a favorite tool? No. What do you have three of? Uh, hammers? Okay. Uh, Allen wrenches? Oh, I, Allen wrenches. Oh. I'll pick Allen wrenches for now because I must have about a dozen set of Allen wrenches because I have to have metric. Just a dozen? <laughs> I have a, you know, I have metric and then SAE English, and then I have some, some are like a big set and then a small set, and some are missing a few, and some are handled, some are L-shaped, some are in a car, some are in one workshop, some are in a secondary workshop. Uh, it, uh, Allergies, I have them everywhere. You make it sound as if they're organized. I have a bin full of every Allen wrench, and when I need to use one, I grab the half dozen that look about right, and I end up going through them until I found the right one. <laughs> I give myself 60 seconds to determine that before I take a break and go, all right, where are my ones that are numbered? <laughs> yeah, every time I say, I really need to make a system to organize these so I don't have to do it again, and... After however many years, I, I've never taken the, the time to do that, which I'm sure would pay for itself very soon and, and save time. But I don't know. It's part my, of the ritual, I guess. My father's been gone for 20 years, and I still have the same blue plastic container of all his loose Allen wrenches that I use to this day. So I, I know what boat you're in, Terry. It's nostalgic. How do you live like that? I'm not the neatest person in the world, but all my Allen wrenches are at least in their little holder thing, so I get a general idea, of this, at least if it's metric or standard. What about all the ones you get with kits? Um, what, do you just toss them in the garbage? Or Ikea. Ikea. Yeah, <laughs> Ikea. I've got those too. <laughs> uh, the ones I get in kits, I do place like in like a little bin thing, but I very rarely use them. I just end up buying, uh, you know, Harbor Freight or something. I just buy a bunch of... Uh, just whatever I need, really. 
uh, and I go with that. <laughs> well, Terry, what is your favorite tool? Let's forget Mr. I have two of everything. <laughs> um, I'm going to get a little eclectic here. I think the tool that I use the most is not really a tool, but a consumable. And it's goop adhesive. I use it for everything. And if there was a close second, it would be a sheet of Kydex plastic. Between those two things, I can fix just about anything I want or fabricate anything I want on the fly. And But, but I think Goop takes the cake. I use it all the time. I used it just today. You just have to be careful not to put it on certain foams because it, it is um, it, it will eat the foam. I think the last time I bought Goop was to fix one of my kid's shoes. <laughs> I know, it's the same thing as Shugu. Same thing, different label. Yeah, I just what 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 did you use it for today? Um, Austin and I are building a custom case. He built. Uh, he's got a Raspberry Pi. Do you know what a Raspberry Pi is? Little mini computer. So he's got one of those, and he downloaded a game that plays all these old um, arcade games. So the stuff that was popular either on Atari or on arcade machines when we were kids. Now you can play those. On, on a Raspberry Pi. And we've got a little 7-inch monitor, so we're making a case that's going to carry all this. You flip it up, and the monitor's there. Anyway, so we have to put together all these little standoffs and inside panels and things like that, and we're using goop to hold it together. Hmm. So it makes well, a strong I'm... joint, but if you ever need to pull it apart, you, you grab an edge and you pull it off. Or if it's really bad, you can stick an X-Acto in there and, and get it started. But it's amazing stuff. I'll have to... Add that to my grocery list. But you you made me think of a tip that I got from Key Sparks, and I'm going to say this one right now and give him a nice shout out. But something he shared at a best, which I had never done before because I always just use paper plates, but he always keeps a deck of playing cards and popsicle sticks when he does all his mixings for like epoxy and stuff. Oh, and yeah. I I had never used playing cards before for that. But <laughs> I mean, I just probably learned that within the past you know six years or so. But I was like, that is the best thing because it just doesn't stick. It's easy to, to mix right there. It's simple. It's, you know, it doesn't, uh, because it's, they're usually waxed or have a plastic coating, you know, it, it doesn't seep through like a, a three by five card, you know, a paper card. And they're cheap because you can get them almost anywhere. Or sometimes you're just giving them from, you know, events and stuff. So that's, a, that's another one I keep on my table, a, a deck of playing cards and, and stir sticks. Yeah, that's a good idea. I had been using business cards from previous places of employment but uh, those are uh, consumables but a playing card idea is a really good idea you know a lot of restaurants have fish bowls full of business cards you can just grab a handful out of there and use those <laughs> i could just go They're run free. through a casino and grab a whole bunch of playing cards too i guess while yeah. i'm at it yeah. <laughs> the don't mind me <laughs> <laughs> a great place to get some ideas for tools is a company called micromark uh, I learned of them many, many years ago. My father used to get catalogs delivered to the house, and it was just such a great catalog to look in, mainly because they've got a lot of pictures of, like, trains and small models that a lot of guys work on. But the tools that Micromark has are are just astounding. And, and if you've never looked at the catalog, please go to their website, micromark.com. We'll put a link here on our podcast. But you will see some really cool devices. In fact, I did buy 
uh, one item from them and they're these little right angle uh, brackets uh, to help in your building. Uh, and then I've also built some on my own once I had those to give me like a, a guideline. But uh, it's a really cool site. And if you like to do a lot of, you know, fine work, uh, they have some great devices to, to use to do that. We hope you enjoyed those three little extras from episode five. Look for future episodes on our iTunes account or by going to rcroundtable.com.